Hello, and welcome to Smooth Scaling, the podcast from Insight Partners that helps revenue leaders scale their software companies at every stage of growth. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan, and today I'm once again speaking with Hayden Stafford, President and Chief Revenue Officer at Seismic, a global leader in enablement, helping organizations engage customers, enable teams, and ignite revenue growth. In the last episode, we talked about moving up market from SMB to enterprise. Today, I continue my conversation with Hayden, and we'll discuss setting up a channel motion. A lot of our audience is early stage companies who either CROs or CEOs who might be setting up a a channel partner organization. Just in brief, six years at Ernst & Young, 10 years at IBM, Salesforce, Microsoft, Pegasystems, and now Seismic. So you've been with a, a number of organizations who actually do have significant partner and alliance channels. If you could sort of talk to, if you're going to go direct to channel, how do you get started? I'm dealing with it right now at Seismic. I am a huge believer in the channel. Anyone who's listening to this that knows me knows I'm extremely partner friendly. And that's both the SI side, you know, so your systems integration partners, as well as your ISV side. I got my teeth cut really at at IBM, it was more just kind of resellers and VARs, right? At, at Salesforce, I really got into the ISV space, really understood the power of perspective that GSIs would bring. So the Deloitte's, the Accenture's, and so on. You've got to look at a partner, I think, in different lenses. There's your integration partners, your app exchange-like partners, where you can click the API, you can download the connector, and off you go, Mr. or Mrs. Customer. But the real value comes when you have established a credible partner program where partners, depending on where they are with you, get things back from you. So, you know, your silver, gold, platinum, or something like that, tier one, tier two, tier three, where you have a relationship where it's give to get, engineering access, go to market access, joint marketing activities together. And depending on how much that partner means to you and how much business you're doing together depends on where you are in those tiers. For me, a a good partnership is all about deliberate, intentional actions that you take together. That's the ideal kind of nirvana state. And it's got to be ubiquitously embraced by your team from product and sales and technical pre-sales and marketing and even operations to build the the dashboarding and and the kind of the forecast rigor that you need. That's where we're moving towards now. My company at Seismic, the GSIs, the global systems integrators, are not quite as important. As you know, you've worked in smaller companies. It's more about get the product implemented and then grow from there with post-implementation services. So the SIs for us, I I don't want to say they're not important, but they're less important than the large Accentures. For us right now, our focus is that ISV network. Let's build an ISV scale program. Let's build an ISV go-to-market program. And let's build an ISV strategic partner program. And that's exactly what we're doing. Those three categories. And we're building mutual incentives, cadence, and executive alignment. And those, I would assume that those independent software vendors for folks that don't know what ISV stands for, it's other software companies, basically. I would assume that you know they're selling pieces that bolt onto the Seismic platform. That's right. So... Microsoft is a great example. It helps that I came from there and, you know, ended up running the the business applications group. But, you know, we had a lot of good connectors and loose co-selling together with Microsoft. When you work executive, executive, region to region, account to account, you begin to build trust. And with this ISV, independent software vendor being Microsoft, 
we now are in the, it's not really an ISV. I mean, it's a behemoth, right? Monster. Monster. Yeah. We are developing products now together. We announced a product launch around Viva Sales about six months ago. We're doing some really cool development uh, for in-meeting experiences with teams. That's where you know you have turned the corner with the partner, where your product teams are working together very closely. I guess maybe shifting a little bit over to guidance for working with systems integrators and managed service. Well, I guess less managed service providers, more SIs and VARs. If you think about your own sales team, right? You've got salespeople, you've got CSMs. Who should position services, especially let's say it's an existing customer and you're trying to figure out like what to do? Should that be the, the job or in what context should that be the job of the CSM versus the job of the account manager? I think if you are if you're leaving it in the hands of the CSMs, you're too late. Unless you're driving expansion, obviously. It, it sits first of all. I view an account team as your technical pre-sales, sales, um, and your CSM, and maybe if the company's big enough, your you know your service delivery individual that is connected to that account or that territory. But it's your AE, your SE, and your CSM is an account team. I'm hoping that that account team is working as one from accounts account strategy, account plan, and then ultimately execution. I think it sits squarely with the AE and the SE. They need to understand what partners are relevant to that customer. Do a partner landscape, which ISVs are core and critical, which GSIs are core and critical. Work with those GSIs. So, you know, Deloitte, maybe you connect with the client account manager for that account and you in a really mature relationship, which I've had at some of the other companies, you're working with that client account manager from Deloitte and you're building an account strategy, right? It's extremely symbiotic. If I sell more software, you get more services. You recommend our stuff more, you get more services. So it's it's very co you know cohabitated in these accounts. And the AE and the SE should set an account strategy with a set of partners. That's table stakes from the get-go. Yeah, that makes sense. And as also, I just reflect on instances where I've been working with a vendor. It was pretty much always the AE or account manager who was recommending service providers. Salesforce popped into my head because it seemed that the AEs were always armed with a recommendation for, for an implementation partner. And, and that actually gets another question around this, which is there are all kinds of services, right? And maybe if I broadly break them into implementation and all other professional services. How should companies think about what services they deliver in-house versus through partners? Like it sounds like Microsoft shifts a lot of implementation off, whereas a lot of other ISVs keep implementation in-house, but it just varies, right? So I'm kind of running running this play here and there there is no right answer, right? It's just what, what fits your business better. For me, the SI should be an at-scale volume play. So the secret sauce, the advisory and expert services should come from you, the company. So Seismic, if we were to sell to you a new customer, I would want to work with a partner to drive the implementation, to drive all the legwork, the PM work, et cetera, and, and sub to us on the implementation for some PM, some project management work, sitting there to make sure that the boundary conditions have been set and the implementation has been done and using me, my, my professional services as an adjunct to your team. Now, post-implementation, 
as you start getting into change management, adoption services, extension, that's where I would really love to see us. And a lot of software companies have bundled package solutions that are not implementation. So for us, for example, a perfect example is you can use Seismic to run your QBRs. You can run Seismic. It's a great platform for sales kickoffs. You implement Seismic, and then as you have these various needs over the life cycle with us, you use our services, our professional services for those critical use cases that really requires expertise. That's how I like to work with partners. So our PS team is now actively working with a number of SIs where we give the kind of the implementation work to them. We're part of it, but we really are growing our business. About 70, 75% of our services business comes from post-implementation. So after the implementation is done, new stuff is us. Okay. So if I, if I play it back, the, the quote unquote at scale, repeatable work, that's often implementation work, offload that to the implementation partner. And you almost reverse things where if the implementation partner has escalations or any complexities, they can come back into your own services organization on the back end. So you're subcontracting the subcontractor. And then for the more complex work that happens afterwards, your own professional services team leads that. I also see another benefit. We've been talking in and out of product throughout our conversation, and it feels like you want to see some of that more exotic stuff. And as that exotic stuff, if if you get more and more at-bats on the exotic stuff, that actually feeds the product. your product development, new product development. You're absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I don't think any software company his goal is to build a huge services organization. There's debate on what kind of growth and what kind of profitability. I prefer to have a profitable service business that should be growing in line with the software growth, but it is there to drive that, that deeper usage and it's there to drive better value services than just implementation. As you were talking about more, more valuable services, I've, I don't know if it's just a recent trend or I just missed it for years that there seems to be a trend towards premium customer success, right? So it's not just the technical side of professional services. It's also premium kind of business services. We call it at Seismic, we call it platinum. Platinum. Ah, okay. So you do have something like that. So what's the what's the motivation to to start charging for a, you know, platinum customer success? What what do you, what do you get when you're a customer of that sort of elevated CS offering? You know, the the CSM landscape Jeremy, it's when I meet other CROs, this is one of the areas I want to talk most about because it's a pretty heavy cost to the company if you continue to grow your CS org. And I always want to talk to them about like, how are you finding the balance of what CS does, customer success does, and what it does not do? I think I speak for most companies, most CROs. It is there to drive best practices. It is there to drive adoption services. It is there to drive how to use best practices. It is not there to be an escalation point, to help triage problems, to be a technical resource. Maybe if you're a snowflake, you want your CS team to be deeply technical, but not your SaaS companies. If you, your CS team is there for every question, password resets to, I've got a bug here and I need to fix it. You are driving up your cost of sale. Your CS efficiency metrics are going to probably tank. Therefore, customers that are consider the product to be deeply mission critical, got to be always up, got to be working, you know, with minimum downtime or any issues. 
are willing to pay a premium for support, that white glove support, that premium support, that's got an SLA of, I don't know, two hours, an hour for a response time that knows I've got someone there if something goes bump in the night. The problem with so many startups, including us, was when bumps, when things happen, bumps in the night, they came to their CSM. Mm-hmm. And the CSM then becomes, you know, if they've got 15 accounts, they become bogged down in technical support and not driving adoption. And adoption is the currency of SaaS. I'm wondering how you prevent it. Again, just thinking back to my own experiences, once I have the CSM's email and phone number, right? I'm, I'm, a, Or sometimes they even give you their, their Slack these days, right? So I'm all over that. And things I probably shouldn't be sending to them, right? It's just, I just... I just have that person in my mind. And how do you prevent them from getting password resets in the middle of the night? <laughs> if I had the answer to that, I'd be, uh, be in a different place in my life. Um, look, I think you've got to slowly introduce digital and other means for engagement. So we now have digital support and it's within our CS team, not in our support org, you know, your tier one, tier two, tier three support. It's in our CS uh, customer success org and it's digital chat. The CSM, if you ask me a question, like I got a problem with my password, hey, it'll be quicker if you use the chat function here. It's it's right here. Use it one time, two time, three times. It takes muscle memory. You know, communities, using community forms, getting your customer to go to the community spaces. Maybe start using more of our university platform so you can get in front of problems before they happen. It's not going to happen overnight because there's no way you're going to say, hey, Mrs. Customer, you're done. I'm not answering that question. So I think it's introducing these new capabilities. I'll give you an example here. We rolled out chat for our customer success or for our customers about eight, nine months ago. And the adoption was slow, slow. And right on December, January, it started to pick up more and more. And now we're seeing it kind of virally grow. That's a great way to do this. And then of course, I hate to say this, but you can go with some lower cost solutions as well, like nearshoring, not necessarily completely pushing it all off, but if you've got a nearshore, say my European team can use Portugal, we've got a nearshore center for CS, the CSM takes the call, hey, let me let me hand you to, you know, Sarah in, in Lisbon. She's gonna help you better there. It's these, Drip feeds of introductions is my opinion. But there is no right answer, I don't think, Jeremy. Interestingly, right, people want low effort and they want speed. And I think the chat response works. And we're even closer to having, right, using ChatGPT and other large language models, right? We're even closer to getting better, quicker answers than than we had before. As long as it's frictionless, right? I mean, as soon as you got to go through many steps... Like ChatGPT is great. You type in a simple question, it's done. It's got to be frictionless. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think that's a good point that actually summarizes everything in sales and customer success and support and and working with partners. Uh, it's got to be frictionless. I think is the is the keystone is the keystone message. Well, Hayden, it was such a pleasure having you on, learning from you about channel partners, about kind of all things leading the revenue function. So thanks so much for being on. Hey, my pleasure, Jeremy, and really wonderful to meet you. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Smooth Scaling Podcast. And don't forget to subscribe, leave a review, or tell a friend. For more information about the topics we discussed today, check out the Insight Partners blog at insightpartners.com slash blog. See you next time.